What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The horn is everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a self-esteem place so far. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Don't let play against them. And make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, powered by Bama Hammer. Tommy, we are who we thought we were, right? Yeah, man, we we match up really well against the fullback, two tight ends, two wide receiver sets. You know, we talked about it against Georgia, and we talked about it you know, we were, we felt really good going into that Georgia game because of how this team matches up, and the same was true against Tennessee. We we just have the best defensive line depth-wise and talent-wise uh, that I think we've had since Saban's been there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And I, ironic, right, is yeah, this is probably the best defense that Alabama's fielded since 2011, and, you know, that, that defense certainly didn't number – on uh, LSU at that time as as well. You know, we didn't do sort of a a dedicated pregame show for this game, and and we probably could have and and, and should have, and that would have been a lot of fun. But we kind of gave it a few minutes at the end of the Tennessee game, and, you know, we predicted – I don't even remember the scores that we predicted, but but one of the things that we did say, and, you know, given LSU all the credit in the world and given Fournette, Fournette all, the, all the credit in the world – we said that this game sort of stacks up not dissimilar from Georgia. Georgia's a very talented team. They had a very talented running back, uh, but they had a suspect uh, quarterback. And that's sort of the template that Wisconsin was in, that Georgia was in, uh, that LSU was in. And so we predicted if we can make them one-dimensional, um, I don't know that we would have predicted quite what happened, but we said if we can make them one predict, uh, one-dimensional, then this is a game that may not be as close as some of the pundits think. And, uh, man, it's so satisfying as a fan and, and kind of doing what we do, right? It's kind of, it's so gratifying when we just kind of call our shot that way. And, and you know, every once in a while we do it, right? And it's just a lot of fun. No, absolutely. I am, I am surprised that, you know, um, I'm surprised LSU did not come in with the blueprint of we're going to try to maybe run the option. Um, we're going to try to uh, – we're going to scramble more with our quarterback. And I'm surprised they didn't try to throw the ball more. I'm still amazed that – I mean, LSU came into this game seeing the blueprint of the Georgia game. And they saw the blueprint of the Tennessee game. And they saw – you know, they saw that Georgia, Georgia rushed the ball, you know, um, that they, they were they were content on trying to rush the ball against us, you know, numerous times and and was not able to to get anywhere. 
and Tennessee had one big, you know, run, but that was it. And so I'm surprised that his quarterback's still thrown for a thousand yards. Okay. I mean, still a thousand yards is a lot of yards at this point in the season. I'm surprised they didn't try to stretch the field, uh, especially had as after they had that success on that goal line play where where the the wide receiver made a great play. You know, they've always had athletes at wide receiver. Why do you think they didn't try to spread us out and instead of just continuing to run the ball? Yeah, I yeah, I mean, obviously, when you have Fournette in the backfield, you're going to try to run the ball, and I get that. But I thought absolutely for sure that they were going to come out. I thought that first play of the game, they were going to come out and take a strike down the field uh, with some play action. I mean, you know, we've seen uh, – for the life of me, I can't remember the game – was it? I mean, was it Arkansas? I mean, there was a coach that did that against against us just recently this season. Tried to come out and and uh, and and try to catch us napping to start the game. And and I'm very much surprised that they didn't. And then in not doing that, they 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 played right into our hands just so unwittingly because they allowed us to stay in the Saban base, right? And 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 we play a lot of nickel and a lot of dime. But if we can play. A true three four, which is you know, I mean, that's like a pig in mud, right? Saban getting to getting to run a true three four, right? I mean, they had a hard enough time running the ball when we went to nickel, and and you're gonna let us stay in a three four and think you're gonna run the ball? I mean, it's almost like we were begging them to to try to pass, or at least you know we were daring them to you know prove that you can stop us. Prove that you can pass against us before we put a fifth DB out there. And then so we, and you know, you think of an offense typically dictates the pace and not just the pace, but kind of the style, right? Because it's the, it, I mean, it's the offensive style that the defense reacts to. Well, we got to pick the style on defense. It was so counter, uh, it was so counter to what you might typically try to see. And they just, they just, played right into it. I it's at one point I was just was amazed you guys are going to continue to try to run the ball against the Saban you know against the three four not even try to get us out of it uh I mean their quarterback was six of 19 they it wasn't even there in their game plan it would be one thing if he were like 10 for 24 where guys we're going to at least try this because this is our game plan it wasn't even in their game plan it's like they took the week off and literally took the week off and said, well, we got the best running back in the country, which I still think they do. And we're just going to go run these plays that we've been running all season. That's going to be good enough to beat Alabama. And whoa, that was wrong. Well, it, it makes you wonder because, I mean, to be fair, they only had 45 offensive plays, right, which is very low. And so they did attempt 19 passes out of 45 they had 26 carries, including the five, you know, scrambles from the quarterback, although I think one was a design run. Sure. So I guess if you look at the 19 dropbacks out of 45, that is somewhat balanced, I guess. Um, I just am surprised that of the six completions, going back to your six of 19, two of those completions were big plays, right? One was a touchdown and one was – you know, a nice play from your two-yard line for 37 yards. So, to your point, I'm just surprised if I was LSU, I would have had more pass attempts 
um, to set up the run. I, I guess that's what I want to say is, is I think that LSU should have come into this game to pass to set up the run um, because when you look back and you see they only had 45 offensive plays, you're like, wow, the defense was rested throughout the game. I mean, 45 plays, David. Have we played LSU? Do we ever remember a game against LSU where they only had 45 offensive plays? No, and in fact, if you go back a couple of years ago when we lost to Texas A&M, one of the thing one of the things uh, against the A&M that w- that we said is, hey, normally the Alabama defense was a- averaging, at, you know, at that point a couple of years ago, uh, Alabama defense was averaging um, what is it, fifty three plays per game, and against uh, uh, against LSU, the defense, the starting defense, had to play eighty five plays. And so the carryover was next week, that next week against AM and and Johnny Manziel, the, the defense was gassed, and, of course, we go and lose that game. And so that's an example of have we ever played that few of uh, 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 defensive possessions against LSU? We'd have to go back and look. It, but it might be one of those games in 2011. It might be the, the, the championship game in 2011 when, you know, they didn't cross the 50 because they kept – uh, you know, they, could, they couldn't move the ball. You had a good point. You said that, hey, out of the number of possessions, the number of plays that they had, 19 is a relative, you know, maybe that's, that's proportional. The one sort of caveat that I would put into that, and this is kind of, you know, kind of peeling back the numbers a little bit, is just the number, and I, I don't have this in front of me, so, you know, we'd have, to, we'd have to look it up, but the number of second and longs and third and longs. And when you think about, getting out of your game plan, you can look at just the raw numbers and say, well, 19 out of 45 is a fair distribution given that they're going to run run the ball. But how many of those plays would they really have preferred not to pass the ball if they weren't in a second and third and long? So I still say that that 19 is inflated. Uh, they didn't even want to pass that many times. Well, that would be fair. If you look at the distribution of LSU, they had – uh, second and long where they ran the ball, they had five uh, five of those occasions. They had a second and nine, second and 15, second and 10, second and nine, second and 10, second and eight. And then they had uh, – that's, that's, that's a lot of behind schedule, right? It is. And if you add them all up real quick, not to bore the listeners here, you had 10 second and long plays and you had eight third and long plays. So out of their 45 offensive plays, 25 of them were second or third and long. And as I look at these longs real quick, it was all eight yards or longer. Gosh. So so to your point of getting out of your game plan, if, 50, if over 50% of your plays after first down, you were still having eight yards or more to go, um, they just haven't had that type of a game all year. And if you think about it, man, that how counter is that to their game plan? And this gets very sort of micro, right? This is the microeconomics of this game is having that many second and longs because they, if you go back and look over their season, I bet they haven't had that many second and longs all year combined. And, and, and of course they get to experience them all, you know, Saturday night. They may, they have made their, their, their hay this season on, you know, second and three and second and two and second and four, you know, to line up at a second and eight continually all night, they don't even know how to do that. 
No, and that also contributes to, you know, there was a lot of press going into the game about the quarterback hasn't thrown an interception. And you and I, I kind of equated it to, you know, Auburn was, you know, was putting up the kid for the Heisman at the start of the season when he, you know, proceeded to lose his job. You know, you got to look behind the numbers. And so it's that lazy analogy you met, you know, you've talked about with the media that everybody was talking about he's thrown for a thousand yards and he hasn't thrown an interception. Well, it's easy to throw the ball without picks when you're throwing a pass on second and three and third and two when they're loading eight guys in the box to stop Fournette who's killing them and they don't expect the pass play. Yeah, there's also that there's also sort of a uh, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained sort of mentality. And so I'm not rooting to go out there and throw a lot of interceptions. But if you have for a sustained period of time not thrown an interception, you have to kind of look at the other side of the ledger. Well, how many how many yards have you thrown for? How many times are you throwing the ball? How many touchdowns do you have? How many times are you are you sort of stretching the defense? Are you taking shots? And if you've gone a long time without throwing an interception, I'll show you a team that hasn't done a lot of the good stuff either. Oh, sure. And I and I remember going into this uh, game that I noticed that their top two wide receivers, uh, one had twenty one carry, or one had twenty one receptions, and one had twenty receptions on the year after seven ball games. Yeah. And so their two leading receivers were averaging two or three catches a, a game. So obviously, this was the perfect team for us. Um, I think the reason a Tennessee you know, team was able to give us more fits is because of Dobbs's mobility. And so, you know, there was only one time in the game that I remember the LSU quarterback doing a design run. And when he did, he got an eight, he got eight yards on the play. Um, it was on a first and 10. He rushed up the middle. It was a design quarterback keeper. He got eight yards. And then we had a face mask, which added 15 yards on top of it. And what's funny about that, David, is that's the one drive that they scored the early touchdown on. Yeah. And so, and so on that drive, two of his five carries were on that drive. One he rushed for eight yards and one he rushed for five yards. So I just questioned the game plan a little bit. You know Fournette had to have a, a, a bullseye on his back. The players were tired of hearing that he was averaging 190-something yards a game. And um, I think they should have used – I think they should have used the legs of their quarterback more, which tends to give us trouble. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you go back and, and the Tennessee game is a good proxy because – and we talked about this too, that, you know, Jalen Hurd is not Fournette. Don't get me wrong. But he is a big-bodied back, right? And so they are similar in their approach to, to running the ball. Fournette's just a lot better at it. And you think and, – and I don't want to discount the fact that the Alabama team was exhausted after – you know, after all that time. And that that kind of plays a factor there, too. But if you kind of strip all that away and you just look at the game plan and you say, man, we don't need a whole lot of a production out of our quarterback running the ball. He just needs to be a known threat. And uh, and that will open up some running lanes and some passing lanes. And, um, you know, because if you compare rosters, I mean, LSU's as talented as anybody in the country. I still do believe that. I just think if you go in with sort of a narrow-minded uh, game plan and that game plan is perfectly suited to the strength of your opponent you know Alabama in this case then it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough day sledding right and it and it and it's going to make you look much worse than you really are and that's that's kind of what happened and you know oh, sure. going to go out and blow the doors off everybody else and that's only going to make us look better 
and and we'll feel good about that. But there's going to be a reality that says, man, if LSU had kind of taken their head out of their ass, they would have given us more of a game. Well, and to your point, I know we're going to get to defense in a second, but when you go back and look at the stats in the Tennessee game, um, I just saw that Dobbs was 13 of 22. And so I mentioned that because they only had 61 plays on the game, so they didn't have a big number themselves. But I do remember numerous times in that game where LSU's quarterback threw it in the dirt on four or five occasions. So I will say that six of 19, part of it was attributed to, he made some really atrocious passes as well. And um, that also probably helped, you know, our, our calls. Yeah. Hey, so so let's do this. Let's talk about the Alabama defense, and and I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to set you up, and then I'm going to go make a sandwich. Okay. All right. Because Coker was in the Tommy wheelhouse, uh, eighteen to twenty four for a buck a buck eighty four passing, and uh, we fed the beast to the tune of thirty eight carries, uh, two hundred ten oh, yards. So I'm just gonna I, I I wound you up. I'm just gonna let you go, man. You know. We 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 screamed about this in the Tennessee game when we had first and goal at the two and Lane Kiffin forgot that he was in the SEC and he thought he was in the Pac-10 and he had two pass plays on those three plays and we settled for, you know, a 21-yard field goal. I really wish that I could just be a fly on the wall and know what happened on those plays that this time when we got into the red zone, we did what we do best, and that's why we controlled this game from the start. And you're correct. We fed the beast 38 carries. I know that's a lot of carries, but, you know, when you go back and look at the stats after the game, I'm sure you were surprised that we had 55 carries on the game. Now, granted, five of the six of those were Jake Coker, but still, I mean, for Kenyon Drake to get 10 touches and Derrick Henry to get 38 is awesome. And, um, you know, it was just – it was a great game plan. It it was what we needed against Tennessee that we didn't get. It's what we needed against Ole Miss that we didn't get. And so in those games, I said, bring Nice Wander in and let him have run. And Nice Wander, to his credit, knocked people on their tail. And we played power football, and that's what this team needs to do. Jake Coker throwing the ball just needs to be an afterthought. What yeah. I mean by that is, is, is you know, set up the play-action pass after you've dominated the team, and then Jake Coker is going to have a lot of success is what I meant. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love some of the play-action pass. We didn't necessarily take, you know, touchdown strikes. We didn't take, you know, uh, those type of shots. But we would run some play-action and hit O.J. Howard. And there was a couple times sitting in the stands, and I know you sat somewhere else this week, but there was a couple times sitting in the stands, I said, we're going to play action here. And, uh, and, 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 and I called it, you know, because it, it, that was just the right time. And we didn't take the touchdown strike, but we hit, we hit a Howard and we, we hit sort of the intermediate passing game, which, you know, you and I have talked about that being something that, that we need to, we, we need a little bit more of. And so, you know, I think that, and we can joke and say that, you know, maybe we installed our game plan, you know, when Kiffin was out at lunch or something, because, you know, we definitely, you know, we definitely, said that we're going to pound the ball here. And, you know, the gentleman behind, you know, that sits behind us always says, you know, just run the ball, especially at the goal line. Like, you know, let's just run the ball four times here. And uh, and we actually did it. You know, we actually we actually did that this time. We didn't we didn't pass. We stuck with what we with what we knew, you know. And so I have a couple of thoughts on, on the running running the game. You know, we've had a number of weeks in a row 
that we had given Henry his his personal high in terms of the number of carries. And there's only so many times that you can do that. And there's only, you know, the old cliche, there's only so many runs that a running back has. And, you know, you can look back at that Tennessee game and through the lens of hindsight, clearly we were a gas team. And so clearly maybe you didn't want to give him those couple extra carries because that's when guys get hurt. And coming out of the the week off, we said, look, this is this is why we this is why you're rested because we're gonna we're gonna use you. I think we did use them a little bit more than we in, in, intended to. Thirty eight carries, man, that is a lot. And I and look, I look, I did a little bit of I did a little bit of homework. And so Henry has averaged more than thirty, right at thirty, just over thirty carries his last five games. That alone is 150 carries on the season. He has 218 carries. Now let's put this in perspective. Eddie Lacy's junior season in 14 games, he only had 204 carries. So Henry has what's that 14 more carries already on the season than Lacy did that full season. And so does that mean Henry is is going to hit a wall? I don't know that it means that. It, I just know that 38's a big number. And with Kenyon getting 10 carries, that is a lot of running the ball. He got a little dinged, and so we're already shallow at the position. Man, Mississippi State, and we're going to talk about them. We got a couple. We got two out of three really, really big games. We need some depth fast at the running back position. That's that's my point. No, it was a lot of carries, but it reminded me of the year with Mar- that Mark Ingram won the Heisman. It reminded me of that game where he lined up in the Wildcat because Coach Saban said, this is working. This is only the only thing that's working. We need to take the air out of the ball. And I, I, we, we had to kind of put it all on Mark Ingram's shoulders for a few weeks there during his Heisman campaign. And I think last night, excuse me, Saturday night, even a healthy Kenyon Drake, um, he would not have been in at the end of the game when we needed to ice the game. And I don't think there are many backs that could have done what Derrick Henry did against an LSU team, right? 38 carries for 210 yards. It'd be fun to go back and see if, you know, how many how many backs have rushed for 210 yards against LSU in the past decade. Yeah. And so in their careers, um, right? I mean, yeah. backs in their careers, but in, in, in a much less than a single game. No, he look, he was, and we've talked about Ragland being a central casting, you know, middle linebacker. Well, Derrick Henry Saturday night was an old school bell cow lead feature running back. And and so you know in in the first part of the game we said man we need you to get yards so we can move down the f- field and uh, and score points so that we can get a lead and late in the game we need you to, need you to take the air out of the ball and one of the most fun things uh, out of the whole game one of the most fun sort of uh, periods of of experience was when we got the ball back in the fourth quarter with nine minutes and 18 seconds on the clock. And I kept thinking, oh, if we can get a four-minute drive here, you know, if we can get, you know, boy, five minutes of in a field goal, would just I would just be ecstatic. And, and we started we, from our four-yard line, too. We started from our four, right? And so I thought, man, if we can just, if we can just, you know, get to 
you know, four minutes and a long field goal, I will be ecstatic because it gets to, you know, how much time is left, how many points differential do they have, and how do we consume clocks so they don't get as many possessions as they need. It becomes sort of a math problem, right? And so at that point, that's kind of what was going through my mind. And 15, you know, was it 15, 13 plays later, 78 yards, we don't score, but we do victory formation. And so we held the ball for nine minutes and 18 seconds there to just literally take the air out of the ball, to literally prevent them any opportunity to, to win. And you think if you're down nine minutes, there's a lot of clock, guys. There's a lot of clock. Let's get a three and out. Let's make a play. And uh, oh, how demoralizing that must have been to – you know, from their perspective, to just watch that clock drain, 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 and that's like the blood just flowing right out of you, right? And and then it and it and then it was over. No, absolutely. And if you look at that drive, um, there were two plays that Derrick Henry ran the ball that we had uh, penalties, um, and so it was no play. Uh, we had a holding holding call on Pierce Barker, which was huge on a seventeen yard run, and then they had an offside penalty. So if you take those two Derrick Henry carries that got taken off the board out of a fit out of what would have been a 15 play drive, Derrick Henry ran the ball 12 of those 15 times. Yeah, and that's a good point, right? There were some carries that that really didn't even count on the stat sheet, but uh, but you know, truly they there were carries. There were also some carries there where where he he was just a shake away from from breaking it, and I I think. You know, when you're on carry 35 and 36 and 37, you know, after that long of a day, I think there were some of those that he may have broken for a touchdown had, had they come in the second quarter. Oh, sure. And the reason I wanted to just mention the 12 out of 15 is that's why I compare it to the Mark Ingram, you know, in, in the Wildcat where he had the ball every single time going down the field. And um, I do want to mention on that drive real quick because we didn't get to compare these notes during the game. Um Early in that drive, uh, Derrick Henry runs up the middle for five yards, then the next play, three yards. So now it's third and two at the 12-yard line. And so to your point of trying to get a first down, it's third and two. And if you recall, Jake Coker, you know, fakes to Derrick Henry to the right. He does a roll to the left like a naked bootleg, and he throws the ball to O.J. Howard, who just barely – you know, catches it for the three yards to get the first down. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I didn't love the play call, not trying to pick one play apart, but you've got a quarterback who is actioning to the right, rolling back to his left, sprinting to the line of scrimmage to throw to a tight end right near the sideline. All kind of things could have gone wrong, right? It could have just been incomplete. You would have stopped the clock, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I point that out to you because after that play, it became like 10 of the next 12 plays was Derrick Henry running the ball. I just wonder, was that a was that a Lane Kiffin call? And then Nick Saban come over and said, run the damn ball? You know, I I don't think it was a bad call. And I and I like the idea of of, you know, it can suck up some of the and, and it just happened that there were there were no defenders right there. And so the run action of the quarterback didn't suck up a defender to, to get, you know, OJ more, more yards. And so sometimes you'll kind of see that action and, you know, and that didn't happen. I thought it was like, it was kind of like the slowest developing play, uh, you know, as, as he scrambled out 
And I wonder if there wasn't like the longest half second in the world that went through Coker's head where he said, I wonder if he just thought, I should just run this. Yes. And not jeopardize the ball. Yes. And in, and all of this would have gone through his head in like like that half a heartbeat, half second, where he said, I should probably just run this and not jeopardize the ball. But if I do that, I'm denying my r- wide open wide receiver a chance to for a catch and for him to make a play. And he's more athletic than I am. And I don't want to be a ball hog and all of those kinds of things. If that didn't just like flash through his head in a split second and then he kind of tossed the ball out there. I don't know. Yeah, I just I I just was like if you're it just seemed like a lot of effort for something to go wrong, right? Either a deflection or inter, or or incomplete, stop the clock. I was like and so I was so happy after that they stopped doing that crap and it was just Derrick Henry up the middle, Derrick Henry right in, Derrick Henry left in, you know. No, I I'd, I'd love to see I'd love to I'd love to be in in like the film room when they when they break that play down and if they don't say something along the lines of OJ Howard, we love you. Coker, if you have that wide open of a field, just run it. Just get the two yards, right? He could have just ran two yards and slid right, the ground. Right, right. Just get you know, get the yards and get out of bounds. All we're trying to do is move the chains here. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not mad at the play call. I think no, it was no. a good play call. Just but, safer. Uh, it just would have been safer right no, there. No, no, I understand. I, I'm with you on that. I'm with hey, you. On that. Any anything uh what what jumped out at you on the offensive side? Any of the other play sequences that jumped out at you? What about what about Jake Coker? The couple times he, you know, he he took the sacks. You know, there was I'm sitting here looking at a second and six at the 49 yard line. He takes a sack for 12 yards, and next thing you know, we have a third and 18 at the 37 of of ours, and we end up having to punt the ball. You can't go from a second and six to third and 18, right? No, you really you really can't, and. You know, there's only just a handful of things on offense. I mean, you know, we're talking about, a, you know, that first down play that was, you know, a good play, and we're kind of having some thoughts on that. You know, there's not a whole lot to kind of pick at on, uh, you know, on the offensive side. But if you're going to point anything out, it's going to be it's going to be that sack. It's going to be some of the sacks where, you know, hey, man, just throw the ball away. Uh, you know, I, I even a couple times said, man, discretion is the better part of valor. You can throw the ball away and still be a tough guy. And it, it's it's almost like he has it in his head that he's the tough guy running quarterback, that he doesn't want to give up on the play and throw it away. And I think sometimes you just got to know the plays that you, the play's over, throw it away. So I mean, sometimes you got to take the sack. Sometimes you got to throw it away. And that's just that's that's just that next level of being a quarterback is how do I make the best sort of in the moment play less real and and look and I'll say this too right because maybe he is thinking about some of these things but look at some of his worst interceptions is when he's heaving the ball when he's getting hit on his back foot yeah yeah and so I want to be careful that I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth at the same time you know man why the hell did you throw that ball and it's intercepted you're getting hit and then and so there he doesn't throw it and he just goes down. Okay, well that's better than an interception, but man, you got an arm. Throw it out of bounds. Yeah, I just I mean, I'm looking at the play sequences here and I'm looking at his three sacks. And so one, second and nine, ten yard sack. So now it's third and nineteen. We we run the ball and 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 conservatively punt the ball. 
Next time, second and nine, but this time we're at the 35 of LSU. He takes a nine-yard sack. Now it's third and 18, and obviously Adam Griffith bailed us out, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then the third one, second and six, he takes a sack for 12 yards. So all three of his sacks in this game were on second and six, second and nine, and second and nine, and he set the team up in third and 18 and third and 20, and Saban's just not going to take those chances against LSU. No, and, and and you know what? There's a little bit that I can say. I can kind of peel back a little bit and say, you know, that's safe, right? Because there was 117 articles last week that said, you know, the biggest matchup is going to be Fournette against the Alabama defense, and this game's going to come down to special teams and quarterback play. And, you know, nine out of the ten sort of pundits that I read, you know, made comments to the, to the point that they trust Brandon Harris – better or more than they trust Jake Coker. And, okay, that's fair. And so, basically, they were netting out that, you know, Coker could be what costs Alabama the game. And so, if if that has, you know, maybe not directly from the articles, but the coaching that, that, he, that Coker was getting during the week, if the coaching really ingrained into him, hey, man, go out this, have a good game, but we cannot turn the ball over. And if he has that sort of – top of his mind, then that would explain him kind of eating the ball in those situations too. And, you know, like I said, I would rather him throw it away, but I'd rather him take the sack than get picked. No, I'm with you. And, and, and it, and it worked out. Okay. Okay. And I guess I'm not trying to be Mr. Critical, but the first sack he took, excuse me, this, the, the first sack he took, it was, it was a 10-7 game. We're at the 36-yard line of ours, decent field position. But that second sack at the end of the half, we are at the 35-yard line of LSU, second and nine, right? You're going to get points, right? You didn't think you are going to get them the way you got them, but you, you're thinking, hey, I'm at the 35 here, right? And so maybe it's just a maturity thing. Maybe it's, a you know, haven't been in the system two and three years like Saban's been blessed to have in the past. Maybe that just is too much to expect eight games into your, you know, college career. And so I don't want to be nitpicky. I just think that, you know, there's going to come a time between now and the end of the season where he's got to get that. He's got to get that I am around the the opponent's 30-yard line and I'm going to hit the cheerleader's megaphone with the ball before I take a sack. Yeah. And and maybe against a lesser team he does that, right? But it's the LSU defense. And so – you know, I and and maybe I'm gonna change my tune a little bit because I know that in the stands I was saying throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. And maybe the more I kind of reflect, because this is a good conversation, right? Maybe the more I think about it, I say, you know what? Yeah, I'd rather you throw it away, but I'd rather you eat it right here too. And and that's just what we did. You know, it, you you rattle off three times. You know, almost picture perfect, the same kind of thing that that. Um, same situation. Same situations, yeah. and, and, he, and he ate it. Now, what we're kind of overlooking here, if we if we really want to point at something that's that's not Jake Coker, but talk about those plays, is we're having a lot of negative plays on the season. Uh, we, you know, for all the production we had running the ball, we had some negative yards running the ball, and then you take those sacks. Um, you know, I thought on one hand the line played really really well, but we're continuing to get those negative plays and. And, uh, you know, I'd like to get those, I'd like to get those sealed. I'd like to get those sealed up. No, we, 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 I think, I think I read where we had six, you know, they had, they had six, uh, plays, you know, behind the line of scrimmage against us, which is, which is too much. 
Um, but I, I will say while we're on the offense that I, I tried to focus uh, on Cam Robinson and even more so Dominic Jackson yep. because of the pressure that Tennessee and Texas A&M and, and Ole Miss had had placed on on us with, with four. And um, LSU didn't blitz a lot, um, which I was surprised at. Um, I would have thought they would have kind of done some run blitzes and, and come at us more than they did. And so they kind of played straight up defense for the most part. And um, I was watching Dominic Jackson move with that high ankle sprain because, of course, Cam Robinson had the you know same exact injury against Tennessee last year. And um, all in all, I think those two uh, tackles played pretty well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, give me uh, you know anything else you got on offense, or uh, give me your mini game ball. Yeah, I just I, I want to mention very quickly that. Um, right out of the gate to start the game, Jake Coker threw a pass in the flats to Mullaney for 11 yards. Um, and then after a couple of Derrick Henry runs, he throws another pass in the flats on the sideline for Mullaney for another 10 yards. And so I just found it interesting in the first series of the game, maybe to get Jake Coker's confidence up, you throw it to who seems to be a, you know, a very sure-handed type of guy and you put Mullaney on the sideline on both of those plays to the left flats. And so they threw it to the left sideline, two plays out of four to the same receiver for the same result. And so either A, they were picking on Jalen Mills, or, or B, they were just trying to do something safe to Mullaney uh, to get some confidence for for Coker. So I found that interesting. I think, no, that is, I think that's a great observation. I think that's very interesting in that we intentionally – you know, you think of spreading the field, you think of that mostly vertical. We intentionally tried to spread the field horizontal. We didn't take a lot of deep strikes, but, uh, you know, we try to, you know, the width of the field, 20 yards, that box there, we tried to we tried to exploit, you know, every square inch of that and make them defend all of that territory. And that certainly is going to help open up some of the running lanes. And you and I have talked about that, you know, during, during the season. You know, you always want to see us run the ball more. Well, now we got more of the runs, but we still distributed the ball in those types of ways, sort of easy comfort throws that uh, force the defense to, you know, to get out of the box. And so, again, good play calling on the Alabama side, and we talked about what we thought was bad game planning on, on the LSU side. But give me your mini game ball. You know, as, as far as there, there was a lot of decent performances, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I just really want to, to, give, some, some, to give some love to, uh, to your boy Kenyon Drake. Um, because, you know, I know he got banged up at the end and, and he finished, and I know he's not really mini game ball category. I, I could have given the tackle some love and I could have given OJ Howard some love, but you know, Ken John Drake, we need that backup running back to have 10 to 15 carries. And, um, you know, I was surprised when I saw the stat sheet that he finished 10 carries for 72 yards. And then when you think, when you take the three catches for 40 yards, one of which was a phenomenal screen call by Lane Kiffin, which I wish we did more of. Yep. He finished with a very respectable 112 yards on 13 touches. And that was just – it's the first flash for him pre-injury uh, that we've seen from Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I, I, I love some Kenyon Drake. And, and he played very hard. Uh, you know, he almost broke a couple, uh, a couple of runs. And so I'm always pleased to see him have a, a good day and – and uh, and he certainly did. I'm gonna, you know, you kind of gave uh, 
you kind of you kind of tipped your your hand in, in the direction of my mini game ball. I'm going Dominic Jackson. Uh, the fact that he came in off off of the the injury, you know, the Tennessee ankle sprain, um, that just seems so common when when we play those guys just for years. Uh, you know, the the fact that he came in and, and played at all uh, was was substantial, and then he played the whole game. I uh, thought was good too. We played a lot of two tight ends, and so he got a lot of support. But he was out there, and so I'm giving hats off to uh, Dominic Jackson and his performance. Why don't you flip the field and? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, – we kind of started kind of talking about uh, our defensive play and, and the LSU, uh, you know, game plan. And so we've probably covered some of our bases on defense. But uh, what else you got on the, on the stop squad you want to cover? Well, you know, we were we were going to see Dylan Lee more, right? We were going to see the the four linebackers set because of, 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 of how they're going to – play things and what LSU scheme is going to be with the with the two tight ends and the fullback. But I felt like Reuben Foster had, you know, continued to play well each, you know, with each week. I think he's getting better and better. And so I was a little surprised that Sean Dion Hamilton got the start. And I was surprised, you know how they like to bring um they like to bring what 16 guys on the field you know, on the TV timeouts, and then yep. five of them come off the field when the play starts. Well, more times than not, Reuben Foster was coming right back off the field, and Sean Dion Hamilton was staying on the field. And I don't have the, you know, I don't have the ability to see how many plays each one received. But no offense to Sean Dion Hamilton, but I'm I'm surprised that Reuben Foster did not get more run in this game. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a Nico Johnson rule, right? You know, hey, you're a starting linebacker in a package that we don't play a whole lot and so you know when we play when we go with the nickel which you and I call our base uh you know then it is foster but when we go with our true three four then you know Dylan Lee got a lot of run and Deion Hamilton did as well and so you know you might would have expected uh to see some Ruben Foster rotate in and we did play some nickel and so he got some he got some run and so it's interesting that um you know when when Saban says that we have the different roles and people start in different roles and a lot of it is formation based and it's you know how how we're lining up, he's not just blowing smoke up somebody's skirt, right? Because look, here they are playing significant roles, and here's the other quote unquote starter that's that's sitting down because we're not running we're not running the nickel, and when we flip it out, you know he comes in, and so. You know, there's a little bit of merit to that, right? That's what they practice. That's what they're the starters at. And then, you know, they can all kind of rotate and, and share responsibility. But, you know, for a little bit, I'm o- I'm okay with that because that's what they've practiced. That's what uh, and we that's what we can demonstrate during recruiting and and all of that. And you know, they turned out pretty uh, you know pretty effective. Uh, Dylan Lee, I guess, especially you know, a huge momentum shift with uh, his interception to start. Uh, the second half, you know, it was one of those deals where they won the toss, they deferred, and uh, they got the ball to, to to start the second half. You know, it was a three-point ball game, and you know, we didn't get much, you know, out of that possession, but we certainly deflated their balloon in uh, in taking the ball right away from them. And so, you know, I was pleased to see that. No, absolutely, man. I um, you know, we 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 definitely uh, want to get back a little bit to to Dylan Lee here a little bit here in a minute, but I I, I do want to just mention real quick that that I was curious about how many defensive linemen that we rotated into the ball game. 
um, because we always talk we we've talked this season about the depth. Okay, and I just want the listeners to to for these remaining games that we hope is what one, two, three, four, five, uh, five games left is um, I just want people to try to make a note of just how good this defensive front we six games. Is. I'm sorry. I'm going to go. I'm, we want six games. Oh, I apologize. We want six games. I just want people to really appreciate how deep this front defensive line is. Give it to me. And so we started four defensive linemen in the game because I, I consider Denzel Duvall a defensive lineman because he spends okay. more hands in the dirt. So Ashawn Robinson, Darren Payne, okay, nice that, you know, a freshman can come in and bench 500 pounds and, and plug the middle. So Ashawn Robinson and Jaron Reed can wreak havoc uh, in a New England Patriot type of role at defensive end. And so we start the game with Robinson, Payne, Reed, and Duvall. Take a guess how many defensive linemen played in addition to those four. Well, I, I saw Lake and Petway and um, – Come on, just give me a guess. Don't count them all up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go uh, – man, Allen. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go five more. Uh, why don't you try eight more? We had 12 defensive linemen get run in this ballgame. Now, how many linebacker are you – what are you calling – Denzel Duvall and well, okay. What do you call Ryan Anderson? Okay, Ryan Anderson. I'm sorry, I, I don't, I don't consider him linebacker. So if we take him out, if we want to, if we want to well, run, say, run, run me through the names. You, I'm assuming. Okay. All right, that's fine. So, so Ryan Anderson, um, Rashawn Evans, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Tim Williams, DJ Petway, um, Jonathan Allen, and Darren Lake. Okay. And so, and so we can we can say that Denzel Duvall and Ryan Anderson, and and we can say Rashawn Evans. Um, you know, okay, I'll say it this way: we have more guys, and I'm not even counting. Uh, I'm not even counting Reggie Ragland when he gets to rush the passer. So maybe here's what I should have said in my statement: we had a total of 13 guys put their hand in the dirt to rush the quarterback. From the front four guys, because some of because because we have so many linebackers who are adept at at being able to pin their ears back and go against sure, the, you sure. know rush the quarterback. No, we'll play that Jack linebacker. Yes, which, and so I'm know. yeah, and so and so I guess what I should say is is we had 13 guys with their hand in the dirt going after the quarterback in different situations, and so when you are blessed to have a team with that many guys that you can send against the quarterback without blitzing, by the way and that team only has 45 offensive plays, and you have 13 guys with their hands in the dirt in combinations of four on 45 plays, you're going to be able to stay very freaking fresh. It's it's almost it, – It's you unfair. Know, it, 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 I mean, it, it is, right? Because you think of that few – that relative few snaps, and some of those are going to be second and third and longs, and so, you know, you might have fewer defensive linemen because you're actually going – you know, you're going nickel and dimes, right? And so when you start to really start to break it apart, what you can do is you can rotate those guys in and you can say, hey, give it everything you've got on this play to get after them because I'm not going to let you play gassed and get burned on the next play because there's so much depth. And so, you know, you're only going to get to play every third or fourth snap anyways because the way we're rotating, you know, with the exception of some of the, you know, some of the 
uh, sure. you know, some of the big studs in, in right. Movie, right. But, right. you know, especially some of the sitcom guys, you, you can say, go get them and, and then come back here and catch your wind. And, and, and we're going to put you right back out there and let you go get them full speed again. Um, and, and, and those guys have to love that. Right. Because I can, I can give every move, every sort of ounce of effort and I'm going to get my win back. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get in a situation where I'm overextended and then I potentially look bad or get beat, uh, on a play. And you and I, you and I both know too, because the, because some of these 12 or 13 guys are only, you know, in six or seven plays they're less likely to get injured too because you, you and I both know that injuries occur a lot of times when, you know, when you are gassed, right, sure. and, and you make those mistakes. And so I just was surprised at, you know, I, I'm still fascinated. I'm still in awe. You know, as much as you love Kenyon Drake, I'm sorry. I think my favorite player on the defense is still Jaron Reed. And no offense to Ashawn Robinson, I know you're going to be a high draft pick, and 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 your blocked extra point was just so demoralizing. But Jaron Reed and his ability to take on the double teams at the point of attack, and then you throw in a Darren Payne, true freshman who can bench 500 pounds. David, we just haven't had this man. I mean, I remember in the Georgia Dome when Georgia, you know, had a chance to win that SEC championship game when Jesse Williams came out hurt and he came to the bench yep. and we had to bring in Brandon Ivory. And so I guess what I want to want to say is, is been 2012 when Jesse Williams comes out, he's already been in the game for 60 plays. Georgia hasn't been able to do anything. Brandon Ivory has to come in and play as a young backup. CJ Mosley is now not, is now no longer protected and Georgia runs right down the field through the middle of the defense and scores a touchdown. And they just run right down our throat. Well, this year, it's not that. This year, Ashawn Robinson can line up over the center or Darren Pate or Jaron Reed or Jonathan Allen. We've got like six or seven guys that we put over the nose in so many different combinations. We've never had that before. So so there's two things that, that you did there, and I want to unpack them a little bit, right? And so one is, you know, you're calling out the thin defensive front on that team, and you're right. And, oh, that team went on to win the national title and embarrassed just the pants off of Notre Dame by limiting their offense. And so that was still a pretty good defensive unit, right? Sure. And and then when you bring up, hey, you know, Darren Lake – and Jonathan Allen and DJ Petway, you know, how many teams in the country, you know, how many teams in the SEC would that be your starting defensive front? Sure. I mean, we've had teams, and we don't have to go back that far, we've had teams where we'd be very, very pleased with that as a, as a starting front. And, you know, I'm just going to call it the second team. It's all about rotation and stuff. But if you take, you know, the three guys up front, A. Sean Payne and uh, and Jaron, and and you just do a, a hockey sw- switch, and and you bring in, you know, Lake and Jonathan Allen and Petway. You know, you can do a lot worse than that. No, absolutely. And and as we go forward, and and teams look at the the tapes of these other games, you know, I, I look back here at the schedule here, and you know, at Georgia. 
Georgia ran the ball 38 times for 200 yards. You take out the Chubb 80-yarder, so they got 120 yards on 37 carries. Tennessee said, okay, we'll see Georgia's 38 carries, and and we're going to do 39 carries. And I think had LSU had the ball more than 45 plays, you and I both know they would have tried to carry the ball 40 times as well. Sure. So I'm just shocked when I see – you know, Ole Miss 32, Georgia 38, Tennessee 39. Um, I just – these remaining teams, I'm sorry, your game plan needs to be we're going to throw the ball 50 times against Alabama because it's the only way I think you're going to beat them. Well, and they have to – you know, and it, and it's it's circular, right? You know, you, we all hear the best – you know, the expression, you know, the best offense is, is, a, is a good defense. And – in this case, you know, the best defense was a good offense, right? And so when you possess the ball nearly 40 minutes, I mean, you know, two-thirds of the game, um, you make it mighty hard for the other team to to really establish any rhythm and then and do anything. And then if you further slice that and say, you know, how many times did you call out they were in second longs, you know, more times on Saturday than probably they'd faced all season – uh, you know, then even when they do have the ball, they're having to do things that are outside of their personality. Uh, I mean, it really, you know, it, it goes back to that that we talk about, right, where the Saban defense is is like that bow of constrictor that just sucks the life right out of you. And, you know, for an LSU team as talented as anybody in the country, if you look at their roster, and they've got, you know, probably the best running back in, in the country, and you say, well, we're just going to take that away, and your quarterback's not good enough to really do anything, and you're going to be in second and third and longs all day. And it's like, how do they even catch their breath? Because now they're just suffocating. Yeah, I just – it right now, if you're Alabama, and, and what you just said there was key when you talked about controlling the time of possession, if this team, David – follows the mantra of feeding the beast and limiting, you know, kind of what LSU's mantra was coming into this game, right? But LSU doesn't have the defensive front that we have. If we follow this blueprint that we did in this game, there there, there should be no reason why they don't win at all. I'm sorry. If, if you can come in and feed your two running backs 40-plus carries with the defensive line that is going to make that other team one-dimensional, there should be no stopping this team. The, the, the you know the only caveat, and look, I'm not going to disagree with that. The only caveat I, I would say is we're going to need at least one more running back to. We're going to need we're going to need a triumvirate uh, to to do that, and I don't know if that's Damian or if that's Bo, but we're going to need someone to suddenly. And and this is this is where what you say sounds easier than I think that it that it is. Uh, I I think we're going to need someone to to step up and be nearly equal to on par with those first two. Uh, you know, and and by that I really mean you know trusted in blitz pickup, trusted in blocking, knows the plays. We can run the bulk of the offense with them because they're familiar with with the playbook. All of those things that you know, are more challenging than, than they sound to say, yeah, let's just run that game plan again for the next six weeks. Um, I understand. I understand. I just, I, I just, it's just in general, as you look at how that happened, um, we should be able to control the game. And, and so I just pulled up the LSU cumulative stats game by game. Cause I, I just was curious real quick for, for, for us and for the listeners. And so to open the season against Mississippi state, 
LSU carried the ball 47 times. Their quarterback only attempted 14 passes. He was 9 of 14. Against Auburn, they ran the ball 48 times. Uh, Syracuse, 42. Eastern Michigan, 50. South Carolina, 54. Florida, 48. So to your point, this team was averaging close to 50 carries a game coming into the game against us. Back to your your earlier comment about they were just totally out of their game plan. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Well, give me, uh, give me your mini. Uh, unless you got something else, give me your uh, defensive mini game ball. Well, I just very quickly have to bitch about the cornerbacks not turning to the ball. We talked about this after the game. I know Nick Saban is a defensive back guru, and that's why he's getting the the mitts, you know, the Mika Fitzpatrick's to, you know, to and the Humphreys to to come to Alabama. But I just wish, you know, <laughs> there. Well, I can't remember what game it was where Eddie Jackson told the the one DB to turn around to the ball, and he turned around to the ball, and he made an interception. And you and I, you know, talked about it in the podcast. Oh, what a concept! You turn to the ball. You know, just share with the listeners your your thoughts here uh, as to what you think this is. Because by damn, if we could just turn to the ball and not give up a couple thirty yard plays a game, we'd really be kicking butt. Yeah, I mean. Eh. Does Eddie Jackson just need to remind him what to do each time? Yeah, Eddie Jackson needs to coach him up. You know, I, I look, I think this, and and I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking about, and and you know, I probably don't. But I, there's two schools of thoughts when it's coaching, you know, defensive backs, and and you you know, clearly, you know, turning to the ball. There's nothing wrong with either of them, uh, but clearly, turning to the ball is, is something you can do. Um, you know, you have to be able to sort of have a handout and 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 keep up with the 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 receiver. You lose sight of the receiver, and so that can be a very again. It sounds so easy. Turn to the ball. I can see it coming. Why can't you? Well, you know, when you're running at full speed and and uh, and and things are happening very quickly, that can that can be challenging. And so uh, so a second approach for coaching that is to you know keep your eye on the the receiver so you don't get you know juked out of out of out of the play and you know don't face guard but you know put your hands up um and so i i do think that and it sounds so just turn around turn to the ball turn to the ball it sounds so simple but you know kirby smart and coach saban and mel tucker they i mean they kind of know what they're talking about, I guess, when it comes to coaching DBs. And and if we do it not turning the ball so consistently, then especially in one on one on one coverage, then that must be what we're coaching. And when you think about Eddie and Humphrey and Eddie saying, "Hey, man, turn to the ball," well, that's when you got a safety over top, and and the corner underneath is playing the comeback route, and so. Yeah, when you've got that sort of coverage, then you do need to turn and look to the ball because you have the opportunity to pick it off underneath. But if it's man-to-man coverage, I guess we're coaching them not to turn uh, so consistently, and and that's what we get. And look, I'll say this on the sort of the two big pass plays that they have. You know, had one was a third and long, is the the touchdown, and we blitzed Cyrus, and we shouldn't have because that caught Geno kind of. Uh, out, of, out of position, 
and uh, uh, you know the big uh, the big third down conversion from their two yard line from their yeah. two yard line. You mentioned it earlier, um, and I've not gone back and watched the footage as closely as as I would like to. But oh man, that seemed like that was a safety. And so you wonder, like, should either of those plays have you know should they either have happened? And you know you could reason that you know. No, probably not. Because on third and twelve, why do you have, why do you feel of the need to blitz uh, a corner? Let's just play it straight up because uh, they're not moving the ball anywhere, right? And so then you've got Cyrus back there and covering, and you know maybe they don't make that play. And then I don't know. I thought it was a safety. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Well, give me your mini game ball so you don't take mine, man. Who uh, who you want to give it to on the defense? I know <laughs> I, you're going to say. Yeah, so. I don't even understand that. You go first, so you don't take not take my player. How does that work? If well, I go first, give me give me give me yours. Who 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 are you giving it to? I know who you're giving it to. So go on and do it. Well, I I, I don't know. It's not, it's not that predictable, but but uh, I I am giving uh, for on versatility alone. Uh, I'm giving my mini game ball. To, and I'm going to pull a Tommy because I'm going to kind of butcher this thing a little bit. But I'm giving my mini game ball to Ashawn Robinson. Oh, man, I'm totally wrong. Okay. So for, the, for the sake of his – and I've got another guy kind of circled off here that I was going to go to. But but uh, I'm, I'm going Ashawn Robinson for his versatility. You know, he didn't, he didn't light up the stat sheet, but he just demonstrated just superior athleticism. And there, there was, you know, for a 300-pounder, right? And so there was one play where he just – and I think we were in a nickel, and he just bear-hugged and just wrestled down uh, Fournette. And I was like, by himself. By just all by himself. It's like, man, that is a one-man wrecking crew right there, you know, wrecking this vaunted, you know, running offense. And so that was phenomenal. We brought him in two or three times at the goal line as a fullback. Uh, and, I get look, I know he's a defensive lineman and he was playing over there. But that just speaks to his athleticism. We did that with Cody because of his size. Uh, but Ashawn, we were bringing him out there for uh, for his athleticism. And then on that blocked field goal, the image of him not just jumping straight up into the air to block it, but jumping over the line of scrimmage to, to block that. And I will tell you what. Everything you say about Jaron Reed is right, and everything we say about Ashawn is right. They're both going to be drafted high. They're both going to play very well. But I tell you what, NFL people go goo over Cocoa Puffs when they see these guys in the combine, and Ashawn Robinson is going to perform, and I'm not predicting one way or the other, but I'm just going to say Ashawn Robinson is going to be the guy that they that everyone talks about a 300 pounder that's so athletic that's so lean we've everyone has to have one of these and so i think that he may potentially i'm not predicting career i'm just saying who which one potentially gets drafted i just think their eyes are going to pop out of their head when they see the athleticism on an Ashawn robinson and what he demonstrated just his versatility kind of all over the field this is going to be the film they go to and say he's not just doing this against anybody he bear hug wrestled to the ground Leonard Fournette, and then he got up and blocked for Derrick Henry, and then he got up and jumped over, hurdled the line of scrimmage, and that's just going to be man, make this guy a top ten pick. That that's what we saw on Saturday. Well, it reminded us of Marcel Darius in the Rose Bowl game right against Texas. Yes, and we made the comment he just made himself a lot of money on that play. 
and NFL teams, they only have a 53-man roster, right? And so if they can find somebody that can that they can put in three different situations, <laughs> I mean, that's you can a, take, you that's can a, take that's a good thing. Take three plays from this game and put them on a loop, and NFL scouts are going to draft this guy as quickly as they can. Oh sure. Well, man, I thought you were going to give it to your boy Dylan Lee. Okay, so I'm I'm really I, I guess you got so goo goo odd like the scouts did or will. That, that you uh, let this, you know, cloud your judgment because with all the Dylan Lee talk that you had at the beginning of the uh, season, you know, he was the heir apparent. To, I didn't have him squared. I thought, man, I'm butchering this mini game ball enough by giving it to Ashawn for his versatility that I can't give it to two people. But if you could see my piece of paper, I've got na- I've got squares around two names. Dude, just like I, just like I was in, in love with this game plan of, of 55 rushes, um, I, I, I was like, man, as soon as I saw Dylan Lee get the sack, uh, after the interception, I said, he's done the hat trick here now with, with some other plays. And I said, uh, if I could be sitting next to, to, to Mr. Dave here, he's got a, a, a cat eating grin from side to side, uh, because I did <laughs> D- Dylan I did. Lee, Dylan Lee to his credit, because Dylan Lee will go down as one of those players who has made his contributions. He has blocked his punts. He has made his tackles on kickoff returns. And while he is not playing, you know, 80% of the plays, Dylan Lee is one of those contributing players that every football team needs. And so I'm glad that he had his time in the shunt. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that this was by far his best game of his Alabama career. It was definitely a good game. I mean, he's – and he's had – He's had some quite good games. I mean, his first game against Michigan and, you know, in Dallas, he, you know, he had an interception. He's, he's a guy that's just, you know, there, there, there would be, how, how, I'm just trying to think of how, how I say this. There have been other linebackers, not nearly as talented as, as him that have been kind of like our star linebacker because they were just the best, that, best that we had. There's one that uh, his name escapes me, Travis Carroll, Travis Carroll. I bet you Dylan Lee's every every bit the linebacker that Travis Carroll was, and For sure. uh, and and Travis Carroll was a star, and yeah, um, and and man, I bet Dylan Lee's every bit every bit the linebacker that Travis Carroll was. I'll I'll, I'll say this: I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Lee. I'm not going to say he makes a, a a 53 roster, but Dylan Lee will make someone's practice squad next year. Okay. Well, I will tell you real quick because I, I know we're we're running long as usual. Two two other things I have to mention very quick. Number one, uh, I've given Geno Smith some 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 uh, some hell uh, at some of the plays uh, during the season, and while he obviously, you know, gave up that that touchdown play, there was a couple times you know he finished top on the stat sheet with four solos and two assists, and there was a couple times that it was just him and Fournette. Um, one I remember, but I thought there was two where um, it was it was his job to take Fournette down, and he broke down. He didn't act like a girl and tackle with his shoulder. He tackled like a man, and uh, and he and he and he took Fournette down. Yep. And so uh, I was impressed by that. And um, also, just want to say that I'm glad LSU did not throw the ball 50 times in this game because it allowed Ronnie Harrison. Uh, the ability to not have to play very much coming off of his injury, and we're going to need him more as the season progresses. Yep, yep. 
So give me so t- so, so tell me about special. Thing. Where did you go with your mini game ball there, Gino? No, Dylan Lee. Dylan oh, okay. Lee. Yeah, I did. I just I just kind of I, I just I just did more than one. I'm gonna go ahead and go to special teams real quick, okay. and I'm gonna tell you that the um and you've already heard this, but for the listeners, the the play of Nick Saban, who I think is the one that that made the decision to um, allow Adam to kick the 55-yard field goal at the end of the first half is is going to go down as one of his best play calls of the year. Yes, yes. The, you know, I wish that you had – I wish that we had been sitting together for that play, if for nothing else, because – I just said out loud, and 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 you're the only one that would have gotten it right. I just said out loud. I said, "Well, that answers that question." <laughs> and you know, as much as we've been talking about that, that just I was like, somebody that understands what I mean by that needs to hear that. But well, know, we have talked about that. We have talked about this for several podcasts. But just for those who haven't heard this before, Adam Griffith has has obviously you know his back troubles are behind him. He's kicking the ball off farther. He hasn't been given the ability to kick a long field goal all season. He obviously has a little bit in his head. And to allow him to say, what the hell, let him shoot this. It's 10 to 10 at the halftime. If he misses it, who cares? It's 10 to 10. Is going to serve this team well. And if this team wins a national championship and they're in the national championship game with three seconds left and he has to kick that 55-yarder or attempt it, he knows he can do it because, David, I think the kid has had in his head that stupid Auburn play yep. ever since it happened, and this turns the page from that crappy play. And you can build that up as that was critical, critical going to the half. And so you can heap up all of sort of, oh, it was just the poor weather. And it was, and so, and you can do that if he had missed to kind of like sort of massage him a little bit. But then you can just heap it on because he made it, and just pile, just layer on, just slather on the confidence that uh, that you know that he has. And so, yeah, I think that that could, you know, I'm not rooting to hope that we need to kick a field goal to win a game, but I'm just saying now I'm going to feel a little bit better about it. Absolutely, and and I also want to touch on real quick uh, Tony Brown. Yeah. Um, you know, we we have not gotten to go back and and watch all of the telecast because uh, we were there live. I did. Uh, I did get to hear. Uh, I did get to hear Gary Danielson um, share some of uh, uh, some of his uh, Thursday uh, viewing when he was at practice. And I don't know if you've heard this, but Nick Saban, uh, kind of at the top of you know, kind of yelling at Tony Brown, where most could hear, he basically said, "Tony, if you don't want to be here, just leave." Mm. And so Gary Danielson in the telecast after Tony Brown had his his nice uh, first nice special teams play, he tells this to the national audience of maybe uh, Tony Brown uh, was called out in practice on Thursday. Uh, and if that's the case, then good job, Tony Brown, because you stepped up and uh, I thought you played extremely well on special teams. And you basically, if you keep showing that, then you're going to see the field and other opportunities. Yeah, now I'll say this, right? Because Coach Saban has said that Tony Brown is one of the best, you know, special teamers that that we have on the team, and 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 he has been sort of a lightning rod, um, 
you know, in on the special teams all season. And so I would not I would not take that maybe as dramatic of a statement as is maybe Danielson was using it. I don't know how much of that. I don't know how much of like practice sort of motivation yelling kind of talk. I would I would read too much into. I mean, you know, I've gone to work on a bad day and my boss could say, well, if you don't want to be here, you know, and that I understand that mean anything other than I don't want to go to this next meeting. Right. I mean, you know, so I don't know that I would read super too much into that, but. But you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say. And pull levers every time he can. Wouldn't you say though, that this seemed to be the most animated Tony Brown has been all season. I'll be fair. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I would say the most. I mean, he was certainly he was certainly amped up, and everyone was. But I mean, I've seen him make some hellacious plays all season, all season long. And I'm gonna throw Nice Wander in there too. I mean, he laid some wood on uh, on some special teams, and it was good to see him get some more reps on kind of on the offense too. But but uh, you know, special teams we bottled them up. We bottled them up uh, pretty well on the day, and uh, just in the theme of special teams. You know, J.K., he only had three punts, and three punts kind of by itself, kind of, you know, kind of marinating that for a little bit. We play LSU and only have to punt the ball three times. But uh, he had one stinker, but, uh, you know, he was instrumental in flipping the field for us there a couple times. No, absolutely. Well, anything else on uh, special teams? No, I was uh, across the board pleased, uh, across the board pleased with special teams. Uh, You know, next week uh, coming up, we've got Mississippi State. Uh, talk to me, man. You know what? What? Which Mississippi State? Well, which Mississippi State team is going to show up, man? Um, you know this. This is not where I think they uh, they felt like they were going to be right now with, with two conference losses uh, after last season. You know, Dak Prescott. You know, he he's a kid that always. You know, I mean, he's a big kid. He's he's not as big as Cam Newton, but you know, he's a very dynamic kid. He's that running quarterback that that gives us trouble. Um, but, you know, once again, this is a Mississippi State team that, that, you know, their bread and butter is what we're best at this year. And more so than any year under Saban, I think that we are just really dialed in to these SEC West power football teams. And I just, you know, I – I, I'm not. I'm not concerned about this ball game. You know, I. I just really think that that we're gonna we're gonna look back at this final score, and I think we're gonna be looking at something a little bit worse. Uh, just like I wish LSU wouldn't have got that garbage touchdown. I think we're gonna see more of a score that I would like. I think we're gonna see something like a 42-10 ball game. I, I. I think we're really gonna put it to them. Wow. Okay. Um. We are smoking opposite ends of this of this cigar. Um, when when you said you didn't know which Mississippi State team was going to show up, man, I'm going to tell you straight. I'm afraid that I know which Alabama team is going to show up, and that's going to be the one that's going to be flat and lethargic, uh, and uh, and and still coming off the 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 hangover of of this game, uh, <laughs> figuratively if not literally. Um, I I just think that I just think there's I think there's the opportunity uh, that the tide rolls into this game a, a little bit flat. Uh, going over to Starkville, uh, you know they're going to have a they're going to have a crowd. The whole sort of cliche we always play them tough or they always play us tough, and it's true. Um, 
you know, we're going to pull the game out. We're going to win it. And so never am I going to have a lack of confidence that, that we're going to win the game. It's going to be a game, though, that I'm, you know, I'm just going to age watching this game because it's going to be so frustrating. And I know that and we're all going to know that we're going to be better than we're appearing on the field. And uh, it's going to be a stinker squeaker, like something like 24-17. And I hope upon hope that I'm wrong. So, so two years ago, when we beat LSU 38-17 to 17 at home, we go into Mississippi State and we pull out a 20-7. to 7. So you're thinking it's going to be more of that type of, of a game. Yeah, and that game was closer than the score. To say that score now, you know, feels like maybe a, a more comfortable margin. But that game was, that game was, you know, up for grabs. What late in the third, early into the right. fourth? Right. Okay. Well, I just I, I I think this team, you know, two years before that, you know, after we lost to LSU, granted we had different motivation. We beat them twenty four seven, and so the last two times we played there, we won twenty four seven, twenty to seven. The next time, I just think that the LSU game was awesome, but there was points left on the field. Sure. And I guess I'm thinking that we're going to have our most complete game of the year, offense and defense clicking together, and we're going to run away with it. So, I just I, do not, I do not see that at all. I think we did have our most complete game of the year uh, so far. Correct. LSU, yeah, and I think our team is going to say that was you know that was the game that we wanted to to go. This game is is you know sort of a borderline trap game. They're looking at Charleston Southern, and then they're looking at sort of the holiday, and they're looking at they're looking at Auburn. And oops, this Mississippi State team, this you know this this dog might bite. And so we just we're gonna need to be more ready than I'm afraid that you know you start looking ahead. Oh, Charleston Southern, and then now we've got the Auburn, and and we can really get excited looking at that game. And now Ole Miss lost, and so we can pave the way. Oh, we're gonna get to go play McElwain, you know, in Florida. And you just kind of forget that – you just kind of forget Ole Miss is right here. And I'm not saying the coaches are going to let them forget, but, you know, man, we're talking 18, 19, 20-year-olds, right? So – I understand what you're saying, man. I guess I look at the 0-9 team that, you know, we 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 beat LSU 24-15 to in that game, and the next week we beat Mississippi State 31-3. to And I guess I'm just hoping that that's going to be – I'm hoping that it will be 0-9 all over again. And I hope we – I hope we come out and, and lay it to them. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't know if in 09 the LSU game was like, quote, unquote, the game of the century. You know, kind Oh, of, sure. Right. You know. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I, no, I'm with you. I, I just hope it's not a nail biter. Um, and, um, you know, I'm hoping I'm right and you're wrong. Well, I am too. <laughs> On that count, I do too. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to hopefully this being a uh, a boring game early. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you're right. Hey, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast powered by Bama Hammer. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, 
email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.